0: never gonna let me die Welcome home and welcome to the Mount Carmel Podcast. Today we will be hearing from Pastor Dave Wallen teaching on the topic of Abraham. The intro and outro music today is provided by one of our guest physicians, Christian Hoff.
1: Good morning to you all. It's good to see you and uh, you know while we have the rain we also have the cooler weather so that's kind of nice. Um, nice to open the windows and get a little fresh air and listen to the rain and I don't know. Um, I don't know how it's been up here in Alexandria but I'm hoping we're getting the same rain down in Hutchinson because it's, uh, it's been pretty dry down there. My lawn is not looking good. Well I should say it's looking worse than usual um, and uh I know the farmers are desperate for uh, a little rain. So, welcome back. Good to see you all as we continue to, to march through Abraham. I'm hoping to cover two, um, um, two, two kind of episodes in the Abraham narrative today. So, <clears throat> um, last yesterday, yes, yesterday morning, we talked about Abraham's call in Genesis 12, Um, How this 75-year-old man is told to go and start his life's major work at uh, that old age. It just goes to show you're never too old or too young to be used by the Lord, right? Um, So be ready. And uh, uh, we talked about how Genesis provides very little insight to what's going on with Abraham here. Very little, you know, um, uh, character development there. He just goes, he just obeys. Um, it says, so Abraham went as the Lord told him. Reminds me of uh, Jesus' call to the fishermen, right? They dropped their nets right away uh, at, at Jesus' call to follow him, just even leaving their father. Just, it's crazy obedience on Abram's part. No dragging of his feet, no arguing over details, no questioning, no doubting, no reluctance. He just goes. And that's why we know Abraham as Uh, the father of faith, as such a faithful person. But then Abraham gets a glimpse of the promise. He arrives at the promised land, the land of Canaan, as we read. And and, uh, though it is full of Canaanites, it's occupied, the Lord tells Abram, I'm giving this land to your offspring. And so uh, we find, what does Abraham do? He builds an altar And he offers prayer. Then Abraham wanders, Abram wanders around some more uh, to the hill country to the east of Bethel, and he settles in there. And once again, he builds an altar, and once again, he calls on the name of the Lord. He continues on, and then he gets hungry. Genesis 2. 12, verse 10 says now there was a famine in the land and so we find that it was the promised land but it wasn't looking very promising can you relate i remember well this is a long time ago andre and i were on our honeymoon in in uh, seattle and we had i don't know we'd eaten at some chinese restaurant it was maybe a mongolian grill or something but um, we decided, you know, we better, let's, let's where do we want to what do we want to do for tonight? Where do we want to stay? And so I was like, I started looking up hotels before Google, so I had to use a phone book, the like old-fashioned way. But and Andrea suggests, you know, I think it would be just fun to get a bed and breakfast. She just has this fascination with bread and breakfasts. I don't get it, but I said, all right, well, we can do that. We can do that. Um, and uh, so I, I. Went to the bed and breakfast section in the phone book, and lo and behold, there was one in Issaquah, which is where we wanted to be. And so, and 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 she said, you know, I think I remember that place. I was at a, a wedding something there, like a wedding, reception there. It was great, really cute. So I'm like, all right, whatever. So I call the guy, and I said, hey, um, do you have any, you know, vacancies? He's like, oh yeah, we do. And I said, well, can you tell me a little bit about your place? And um, he says, oh, it is. Wonderful. There's fires, fireplace in the room, beautiful antique collection. Um What are some of the other details? Antique. Oh, well, there's a video collection. There's an antique collection. Yeah, a, a beautiful porch. Um It's just you know, and 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 in, in, in fireplace. Yeah. So we said, well, that sounds wonderful. So we get there. And uh, we pull up. I mean, there were some like kind of the twinkle lights outside, so it was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's cute, right? And um, we go in there, and, and the guy comes down. He's got this suede vest on, I remember. I was like, that's interesting. Um, and, and, yeah, like a metallic shirt. I didn't really get that. Scenes of deer, metallic shirt. I'm trying to find one. Mm-hmm. There was a, there was a um, you know, every conceivable Elvis Presley plate lining the uh, the lobby there. It's like, okay. Um, but uh, we're checking in, and he's like, oh, welcome. You're, I think you're really going to enjoy your stay. I just lit the fire up there. And uh, we're like, okay, cool, you know. Um, so we go up there, and we open the room. And sure enough, the fire was lit. It was also plugged into the wall. It was like this molded plastic. Like fireplace. <laughs> you know, it's just like a light bulb behind it. You know? We're like, oh wow, toasty, right? We uh the the antique collection was like, I don't know, I think you found all the stuff on the side of the road. Uh, the the video collection was all pretty much like Elvis Presley and Barbara Streisand videos. Um, uh yeah, it was um it was an adventure, we, and and the but worst part is we took all these pictures because we wanted to remember this place. Like we took pictures, like oh yeah, you know, like by the fireplace and stuff. And those none of those pictures turned out. I wouldn't be surprised if you went over there and this place doesn't exist. It was like the twilight zone. It was the weirdest thing. But uh, yeah, it was one of those cases where boy, this really sounded promising. It didn't quite live up to uh, what we had expected. But it, it, it's probably one of the mo- more memorable places we stayed on our honeymoon, you know. So, a fun story. But what do you do when the promise does not look promising? When the promise is hard to see? When the life of faith becomes a life of doubt? Sometimes the promise seems to let us down, doesn't it? Uh, to, to be not all that it's cracked up to be. And it seems to fail us. How many times have we said, you know, why, Lord? It's not supposed to be like this. Lord, why have you let me down? These are the cries in the face of disappointment. They come when faith seems to fail us. When the promise seems broken. And I think a lot of times it's as a result of maybe two Probably more, but uh, two, two misunderstandings. First one is that we are too short-sighted. We want the promise, but we want the promise now, right? Um, it's our, we, we live in a culture of instant gratification. We're used to uh, we're not used to waiting for results, but God, as we found, is often slow, isn't He? His timing is perfect. But his timing is slow. I mean, how many, you know, we, we confess every Sunday, like, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Now, when, when the, they wrote that, the, those lines in the creeds, they were probably thinking pretty soon, right? When we know that the New Testament writers were thinking, like, yeah, probably be in my lifetime, right? I mean, Paul, Paul had this assumption that Jesus was coming back in his lifetime, Luther thought that Jesus was coming back. In his lifetime. There's several people uh, today that think, you know, and have predicted even that the Lord is coming back. And, uh, um, you know, and then it kind of leads to disappointment. Like, oh, I thought he was going to be here by now. You know, what's going on, right? Um, his timing is perfect, though. He, he, you know, it's like Gandalf. He shows up exactly when he's meant to sh- show up, you know. Second uh, misunderstanding I think we have is that uh, we have very different ideas of what the promised results should be. Um, we've misunderstood what is promised. We think that God has promised us health and happiness, for instance, right? We uh, we like to quote Jeremiah 29 that He knows the plans He has for us to prosper us, not to harm us, and we just take kind of isolate those verses, take them out of context, and and uh, put them in our context and. And think, oh, it's going to be—you know—I'm going to be insulated from all harm. I'm going to—I'm going to prosper. We don't want things like sin and death and suffering. Um, we want something better than that. So then the promise doesn't come in our own timing, with our results, and so we blame God. You know, we're we're surprised when death happens. But that's a reality of our world, right? But we're like, oh, how could, you know, um, my grandma was 108 years old, she died. How could that happen? Well, oh my goodness, you know, that happens. It's 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 sad and we miss them, but but this is the way it works. But we're like, we're angry at God. Why would you do that? Um, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Um, and so we lose faith. Nathan was talking yesterday about Gerhard Ferdi and, and uh, his, his understanding of, of Genesis three, and you know we call it the fall, but he often talks about it as the uprising the, or the upward fall, right? The uh, uh, trying to be like God. Ferdy does say that if you were going to call it a fall, um, it would be a fall from faith. That we we lose our faith, we fall away from from that faith, that trust, and we take matters into our own hands. And that's exactly what Ab- Abram does. Regardless of the strong faith that he displays in the first nine verses of the chapter, Abram moves to plan B, and he strikes his tent, and he heads to Egypt. So let's read uh, this account together. If you open your Bibles to Genesis 12, we'll we'll start in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say that you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princess of Pharaoh, when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that now I, look, I took her for my, my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all he had. I... Uh, um, as I was looking at at Abraham uh, the life of Abraham, and kind of you know I, I, I've told you like I love um, Walter Brueggemann's commentary. I brought it here just to show you. It's the interpretation commentary, uh, just a brilliant book. But I also thought like supplement it with something a bit lighter, so I got uh, Chuck Swindoll's book on Abraham. I don't know if you've heard Chuck Swindoll on the radio or something. Great preacher, and and I just like kind of the, the 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 angles he takes with um, Some uh, of the the biblical stories as he preaches through them. And uh, concerning this episode, he says Abram failed his first test when he rushed down to Egypt instead of seeking God's counsel. Until the famine, he talked to God and built altars to memorialize his relationship with the Almighty. Once the severe famine struck, however, we hear no more prayers we see no more altars. Rather than seeking God's instruction, Abram made a beeline for where caravan caravan merchants said he could find food in abundance. Uh, I thought that was an interesting insight into uh, Abram's life here. Following the description of God's glorious promise in the first half of Genesis 12 and Abram's unflinching faith in the beginning, uh, Brueggemann poses two questions. He says, will God keep his outlandish promises? And will the sojourning man and woman be able to trust the promises? As we look through the story of Abram here, we're going to see, will God keep his promises? It's going to take a while. His timing is slow. And will Abraham and Sarah uh, keep? Uh, will they trust in that promise? They're not the same questions, but they always come together. And uh, thus far into the Egyptian episode, it's, it's uh, fair to wonder about both questions. And that second question gets murkier as Abram and Sarah, uh, Sarai approach Egypt. Abraham apparently realizes that he is married up, Right? That his wife Sarai is a beautiful woman. And he anticipates that this could cause trouble for him. So he says, I know that you are a beautiful, a woman beautiful in appearance. Take note, guys, this is a good way to begin a conversation with your wife. <laughs> he continues, um, uh, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. This is why I constantly fear going out with my wife, because they, uh, my life is in, in danger, might be more in danger now. Actually, you guys, it's actually my wife's birthday today, so uh, she wanted me to make mention of that. Now I might be killed. Um, So here's Abram's solution. He says, Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. Well, that's awkward, right? (laughs) To save his skin, Abram passes his wife off as his sister. Now, it it should be noted that he might not be completely lying here. Um, That... Uh, Sarai is actually Abram's half-sister, which is also a little awkward, but uh, more common back then. But let me ask you this. Do you think Sarai took that this way? Um, I I don't think so. But Abram was was right. Sarai was a beautiful woman. Um, Not bad for a 65-year-old woman there. She caught the eye of all the people, and of all the people in Egypt, she also catches Pharaoh's eye. Um, And this is one of the most powerful kings in the world. So Pharaoh takes her into his house and then compensates her brother with uh, all sorts of of livestock and and servants. This is not exactly the the picture of women's rights here, is it? Um, It's it's kind of an interesting account. Chuck Swindoll observes while Sarai didn't face immediate risk of being violated, imagine how she felt about her husband here in 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 that culture. It was common for them to take the woman in, um, but they would kind of isolate her before uh, they married her um, to make sure she wasn't already pregnant so it's it's very likely that that Pharaoh and, and Sarai did, didn't consummate anything here um, but um, So she wasn't uh, uh, in risk of being violated, but but think of how she felt about her husband. Uh, He says his no-faith response, his cowardice, placed her in danger while he lived the high life. While she dwelled among strangers, subjected to unfamiliar rituals and facing an uncertain future, Abram hobnobbed with Egypt's elite class. Abram had taken the promise into his own hands. He was pursuing his own ends his, with his own means. Well-known commentator Gerhard von um, <clears> Rod <throat> observes the bearer of the promise is the greatest enemy of the promise. Do I have that on here? I thought I'd put it on here. Oh, here we go. Yeah. The bearer of the promise Is the greatest enemy of the promise. Abram receives the promise and then acts as if the promise has no bearing on his life. As if it's all up to him. As if he has to fend for himself. And maybe that's the way he preferred it. Because that's the way that we prefer it, don't we? It's the nature of our condition we receive the promise and then live like we haven't. We're still wet from baptism and we go back to our old ways. We leave the communion table and then fight in the car all the way home about what's for lunch, right? We pray thy will be done and then go out and make sure that it's my will that is done. We receive the promise that changes absolutely everything and then proceed to live as if everything is the same. What shall we... Uh, Paul, Paul wrestles with this. Um, and you can see it in some of his epistles here as he's uh, grappling with people that, are, uh, that have this, this, this weird dissonance here. Like, I've got this promise, but I'm not living like it. Beginning of, of Romans 6, he, he asks this rhetorical question, what shall we say then... Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? And he answers, of course not. By no means. Are you kidding me? How can we who died to sin still live in it? We're changed because of this promise. He says, why would you live as if you haven't received it? Why would you uh, live uh, contrary to it? Why aren't you living new, right? Um in a much harsher discourse in the book of Galatians, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one. It's like, are you kidding me? You received this beautiful gift, this promise, this newness of life, and now you're just throwing it away and chasing after whatever other... You know, false gospels are out there. Nathan asked us, I've been, you know, Andrea and I were just think, talking about this um yesterday, um, on your was your Sunday sermon. Who are you listening to? I loved that. Like, boy, what I mean, the this past year we've been listening to so much stuff, you know, and some of it we you know, Andrea and I were talking about it, it's like some of it's good factual stuff, but boy, it it really kind of clouds the promise. It clouds what's really important and what we ought to be listening to. Um, the voice of the Good Shepherd, as Nathan put it. I thought that was such a good reminder. You know, Paul saying, well, you're not listening to the Good Shepherd anymore. You're going after all these false conspiracies, false teachings, um, agendas, and whatnot. Martin Luther says that Abraham let the word get out of his sight. He let the word get out of his sight. And as a result, he even fails to protect his wife here. But the Lord doesn't. The Lord does not. Verse 17 is the only mention of God in this little account here. And it it happens kind of right in the middle of this kind of chiastic structure. We read, But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Where Abram fails, the Lord succeeds. Back in the Lord's promise to Abraham in verse 3, he declared, I will bless those who bless you And to him who dishonors you, I will curse. Fourteen verses later here, we see the truth of that promise. That God does, in fact, intend to keep those outlandish promises that He made to Abram. Even when the promise bearer is off where he shouldn't be. And behaving like he shouldn't be. And and, and reacting, uh, regardless of faith, Walter Brueggemann observes that it's dangerous business to deal with Abraham. Something powerful is at work here, more powerful than Abram, and more powerful than the empire. People and nations will be are blessed through Abraham and his offspring or people are cursed because of Abraham and his offspring. And here's Egypt, um, in God's crosshairs once again, experiencing plagues once again. Only this time, it's not because of Pharaoh's disobedience. It's because of Abram's disobedience, the promise keeper's disobedience. But God is determined, absolutely determined, to keep his promise, to bless Abraham and curse those against him. And here's the thing. Because of Christ, you and I are Abraham's offspring. And that means that people are blessed or cursed because of us. How have you been a blessing to others? How have you been a curse to others? Think back on the history of the church. You know, when you can see times when the church has been such a blessing, right? Um, I mean, how many hospitals have been started by churches? Um, you guys started an orphanage in, in Africa. Uh There are... Um, soup kitchens, food shelves, all sorts of ministries to say nothing about the witness to Jesus Christ that that Christians have provided and blessed others with. But on the flip side, there's a lot of curses that have come through church, right? Inquisition. Um, Luther uh, wrote some terrible things later in his life about the Jews. Things that uh, in later generations, the Nazis would get a hold of and used to justify their anti-Semitism. Think of the conspiracies lately that some Christians have spread around that have just not helped in our world situation. We've blessed and we've cursed. Do you have some other examples of, of either of those blessings that you've seen or, or curses that you've seen that have, have come through? Uh, or as a result of, of, of Christians?
2: Yeah, back in the 1960s, um, the white Christian churches um, support in the south, particularly they supported racism, and in the north they were just they just stood mute for mm-hmm. the most part there were yeah. exceptions to that but um the church was no help to um towards integration yeah. and to remove segregation jim crow etc yeah yeah absolutely
0: i'm i'm hearing more and more most, most recently about um the the churches that started uh, boarding schools for native americans in the late 1800s and the um
1: You know, Mm. I'm hopeful that there were some blessings, but there were an awful lot of curses that happened for those children and families through generations. Sometimes it's a mixed bag, isn't it? Yeah, yeah.
0: I think as an individual, a talent can become a curse, Hmm. and no offense, but preachers, when their ego takes over, Mm -hmm. um, I think... Um, it can become a curse, and the the spirit isn't there. They can say all the words or do whatever, and not just preachers, but mm-hmm. teachers, singers, or any talent at all. Yeah. When it becomes about them, it becomes a curse.
1: Yeah, we've seen too much of that in the news lately, and and uh, um, and a lot that hasn't been in the news, but that's happening. Yeah,
3: yeah. The most obvious one that comes to mind in our days is to listen what's happening. Uh, to the Catholic Church, and uh, there's been so much abuse. And we just hear it uh, multiplied, and we find uh, people who are in authority um, finally getting called into account for, for that. Yeah, and yeah, not only the abuse, but also the cover-up.
1: Yeah, that happens, Yeah.
4: Yes, and other people in uh, areas of authority like televangelists who will take people's money and use that to build their own wealth and then justify that by saying, oh, look, I have my own private airplane so I can praise Jesus in the middle of my flight. <laughs> they don't let you do that in a, in, in a regular airplane. Yeah. And they're taking this money from people who probably can't really afford to just give their money away for that purpose. Yeah. I think our um, history points to a lot of um, access to education and actual like medical care um, started through Christian initiatives and wanting to make that access available to everyone.
1: Yeah, blessing that has come to the church.
2: Yeah. Uh, very sadly, there was a time in the history of the church that anybody uh, had taken their own life. They were pronounced uh, on their way to hell in a handbasket. We've rethought that, thankfully. Uh, a couple others that are kind of interesting. When vaccines first came out, uh, there were those in certain church bodies that thought that uh, vaccines should not be used. At, uh, if, um, if God wanted somebody to die, uh, who were we to get involved in that sure. process? Uh, another one had to do with um, anesthetics, uh, that uh, women were prohibited from using anesthetics or discouraged during childbirth because uh, in Genesis it says women should experience pain no. in childbirth. So yeah, no, it's true. Uh, that was uh, uh there's a lot of historical data to support that.
1: Yeah. 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 Some more blessings maybe. Let's let's, let's all be, let's be positive too before we it's already dreary out. <laughs> Hospitals, yeah. Yeah. Nursing homes, yeah. That's a big one.
4: Well even within the hospitals now you have pastors priests um coming religious leaders coming to visit people and comfort them while they're sick while they're hurting and you can see that comfort really improve their disposition and just how they feel about their own situation that's a huge blessing on for people
1: yeah we had uh, some really dear friends of Andre and I's um they lost their their baby at 38 weeks, just tragically, just horrible. I mean, just gut-wrenching. And the, the nurses and doctors that surrounded them in the hospital and just cared for them and prayed with them, and then the ministries that that I, I've never heard of because I've never been in the situation, but there are these ministries that have come around and supported them, take pictures uh, uh, with them with their daughter and and care for them the nursing home doesn't charge for funerals for them i mean it was just beautiful you know christians in their vocation stepping forth to uh to bless someone in some of the most difficult times and so um that it's that's so good to see the the light of the world as we you know talking talk song about this morning salt of the earth as we read about um uh, shining yeah good examples any any la- last call any anyone else
3: yeah. When you mentioned how about some blessings, uh, my mind began to go down all kinds of avenues in my life, uh, being blessed by uh, parents who uh, went to church every Sunday and had all kinds of Bibles around. And then I thought of Bibles and how newer mm-hmm. translations can speak to people the way older translations kind of just uh, there's nothing there for us but uh, thank God for the translations that have become new and updated and, and I just want to put in a plug for the message by Eugene Peterson <laughs> yeah yeah I, I could add
0: another more recent curse is the way that we are treating gay and lesbians and excluding them um, I see that in the future
3: as something we're going to regret.
1: Mm-hmm. The treatment of, of, you know, God's, God's children and uh, how are we uh, dealing with them? Even if we don't agree, um, how do we treat people? You know, we're all fellow sinners walking in this earth, right? Yeah.
4: Our daughter is a um, trauma nurse. And um, she happened to be working one night when a police officer had been shot in a uh, coffee shop. Mm -hmm. And they did heroic means to save his life, but he unfortunately died. And our daughter said, after he died, all the doctors and the nurses lined the Mm -hmm. halls as they took his body. And she said it was such a holy moment of honoring what they do for us. And we don't see a lot of that right now, mm-hmm. so I thought that was really special
1: yeah, yeah, powerful I think of even just things like the the bad reputation in some towns that that Christians have um, of being bad tippers, you know uh, servers don't like to work on Sundays because the the you know the churchgoers come and they they leave terrible tips, you know I mean that's just a way of. of um, I don't know if it's cursing, but we're certainly not reflecting uh, a blessing there um, to people. Well, yeah, I, I, I think that's an interesting question to ask. Um, how are you a blessing to others? How are you a curse to others? And be careful, maybe you don't want to ask your spouse that. But uh, uh, <laughs> Well, Pharaoh somehow discovers that these plagues are due to the fact that this woman that he thought was Abram's sister was actually Abram's wife. Naturally, he's stunned by this news. He feels betrayed by this news. And in an interesting parallel, his question to Abram is identical to God's question to Eve back in Genesis 3. He says, what is this that you have done? What is this that you have done? And like Genesis 3, the couple, is, they find themselves cast out. But interestingly, he doesn't deal vengefully with this lying, wandering nomad, but instead simply says, here, here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, it says, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. And that's the amazing part. All that he had. Abram was sent packing, but he was sent packing with everything that he had acquired through his dishonesty. All the livestock, the servants, and the wealth given to him on account of his sister. So for all of his cowardice and his moral failure, Abram still continues to be blessed by God here. God who promised still continues to rescue Abram and even more, to bless Abram. It's not unlike what his grandson, uh, Jacob, experiences, right? The deceiver, always trying to pull a fast one and, and is blessed through that because God is faithful to his promise. And so the question, will the sojourning man and woman still be able to trust the promise? We're going to see that that's going to be a struggle for them. Abraham and Sarah are human. They're sinners. They'll have moments of amazing trust and moments of woeful failure. Indeed, Abraham tries this same trick the sister trick in chapter 20. And his son, Isaac, is gonna try it with his wife Rebecca in chapter 26. But the other question will God keep his outlandish promise? We're going to see that's going to be consistently and steadfastly, yes. Yes, and then some. God will keep His promise in spite of Abraham. God will keep His promise in spite of us. Of you. It reminds me, I mean, that, that Romans 6 verse I put up there. I mean, I love Romans 6. It's, such, it's so clear-cut. Like, should we go on sinning? Of course not. You're new. Be new. It's, it sounds so easy, Right? Oh yeah, I'm new. No problem. No more sin. I love that Romans 7 comes right after that. You know, where Paul's like, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I'm doing exactly what I don't want to do. Things I want to do, forget it. I'm too lazy. I'm too disobedient to do that. I'm a mess, he says. Who will save me from this body of death, right? Thanks be to God in Christ Jesus. Uh, that's Abraham here. He's like, oh yeah, I, I believe I'm going, I'm faithful. And this is my sister, you know. Uh, he's, you know, it's, it's, we'll see this, this back and forth with him. Thanks be to God and the promise keeper, the promise maker, right? So it's refreshing, I think, and, and kind of reassuring for me to see sinners like Abram in the Bible. I think David, you you talked about this, like you know, to see this from this from this man of faith, human moments, you know, uh, these 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 uh, broken moments, moments that we can relate to. This guy's no different than we are. It's more, even more refreshing, and more reassuring to see the faithfulness of God throughout all of this, that He's true to His promise no matter how much we are not. Any questions? Yeah. Well, let me get the mic. Well, is there any uh, I mean, in other
2: words, uh, if a nomadic couple showed up in Egypt, uh, just assumed that they had a beautiful wife, they're going to kill him. I mean, was there any historical context to support that?
1: well uh you know that's a good question I, not that I can remember i mean of course, it doesn't happen uh when he when they find out that it is his wife, not only do they not kill him but they just yeah they send him packing with all that the stuff he gained yeah and so but but you know i mean it seems to happen all the time here, and so there might have been i mean it was a very primitive barbaric world and and so um but yeah it's 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 interesting that that Abram just assumes, like, I'm in trouble being with you. Yeah, that a pretty big assumption. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah, you think? A yeah, now, so a of exactly, minutes. exactly, big assumption. Yeah.
3: Quick question. Um, how long did Abram and Sarai live in that situation? Like, I always read it and thought it was just short. But it sounded like you, you said he was, you know, co- uh, cohorting or whatever with... Mm-hmm
2: the elites it sounds like it could be longer
1: yeah i don't know that it says yeah um so i'm not you know i don't i don't know that it was years but but um i don't think it says it's a good question does anyone know if it says i didn't see that. it, it said. i'll tell yeah, i'll google it
0: <laughs> and this maybe goes back a little bit to to yesterday and uh the, the thing that comes to my mind and the question is, has God changed the way he breaks into people's lives and speaks? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Such as when God speaks to me, he rarely, one time in my life has he used my eardrums. Mm-hmm. Everything else has been the, the silent kind of thing like Nathan shared the other night uh, about uh, it wasn't a loud voice, but it was a loud voice. Do you think Abraham heard these promises, get mm-hmm. up and go, when he got up and went, differently than we hear God speaking to us today? Mm-hmm. Obviously, we've got scripture that he didn't. Yeah. But how is it that God broke in and spoke the certainty of these promises? Was it different than he does to us?
1: Yeah, so I'll give you my, my thoughts on that. I, I think that it was different. Um, and we're going to see, um, as we go through here, other conversations uh, that he has with God. I mean, and these are like interactions um, back and forth. And so it does seem to be different. Um, one of the things that I, I think, you know, um, mistakes I make when I read the Bible, and it's just like you're, you're going from story to story, and these amazing Uh, um, episodes, you know, of God and his people, um, from Abraham to his uh, interactions with Jacob and the visions Jacob's having, wrestling with God, right, Um, to Moses talking to God in the burning bush or on the mountaintop, um, these incredible encounters. And we think, oh, yeah, this is commonplace. But what we don't remember is that sometimes I think these are kind of exceptions to the norm, kind of a special revelation, I think, and it wasn't happening every day. There were stretches where God was silent, you know, uh, where he wasn't didn't, I mean, John the Baptist suddenly comes out of the out of nowhere proclaiming that that the, the kingdom of God is 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 come, right? And but that was after a period of, of silence. And so I think that uh you know uh God is he breaks in, in these in these uh with these um you know these' chosen people in the old testament to to do these new things and then he speaks to us he he does speak to us i think in in different ways than he did in the old testament you know the means of grace and and, and the word right um but um uh but yeah it's often through others you know through a, through preachers through uh people proclaiming the good news to us right through um the sacraments um and uh uh, you know, like like Thomas, you know, I reckon I'd rather he talk to me in person, right? Or uh, that I could see, you know, the the nail marks and put my hand in his side. Um, but uh, the word is sufficient. The word is sufficient, and and uh, and we trust in that. Um, boy, I wish I, you know, sometimes I long for that that uh, um, you know appear right in front of me and talk to me. Would that change my, you know, my faith? I don't know, right? i like to think it would, but I'd probably still be an idiot, you know?
2: But I think it's very important. Uh, I believe that God's revelation is generally done in the context of his people, and right. it's the people who validate that word. I get, when I turn on the television, there's a TV evangelist that said, God told me last night, X, Y, Z. yeah. yeah. I think that's utter nonsense. I don't think that's how God reveals himself to us, perhaps in scriptural times. But for now, it's the it's the Christian community that accepts that word or doesn't accept that word. But generally, it's it's the validation comes in a in a very corporate way and not in a very privatistic way.
1: I would I would agree with that. And uh, and if someone tells you otherwise, you know, run. Right. Yeah. And they're probably going to ask for money right afterwards, too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, last second. I better get this. Would it Would a Jewish rabbi what interpret, interpret this parable? parable? Um, that's a good question. Uh, Nathan, you 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 interact with a Jewish rabbi. What do you uh, often? Would it Would a Jewish rabbi interpret this? this uh, episode in, in a similar way.
4: I don't know, but I was thinking about Fiddler on the roof and <laughs> and Tevia that that just that earthy kind of discussion, you know, and that is, of course, not in ancient times, mm-hmm. you know, but kind of reflective of a Jewish spirituality yeah. is that kind of moxy before before the Almighty. Um, and definitely, conversational, I don't know that they're, you know, not audibly conversational, but kind of putting it out there like the psalmist does, you know, and um, maybe sometimes even in the quiet, you know, having a sense of, but I don't have a, I don't have a good, others probably would have better in the room even.
1: Oh, it would be it would probably be valuable to know uh how the Jews would interpret this. Yeah, for sure. It'd be in, it'd be interesting and probably would have some application for us as well. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it would be important. I might have a book with me. I'll check it out and see if it uh, dives into that. Yeah. Well, I want to continue the conversation um, with some discussion questions here as we uh, wrap up this episode. So uh, here's uh, some things I want you to be talking about. First one, uh, for those of you that are married, how do you keep selfishness and self-interest from causing problems in your relationship? Uh, And if you can write those down and give them to me, um, that would be good. Uh, (laughs) We don't. (laughs) Uh, second one, how do how do we let the word get out of our sight? as Martin Luther uh, said that uh, Abraham did. In Christ, you are Abraham's offspring. This is a continuation of the the question we had earlier. How are you a blessing to others? How are you a curse to others? So maybe talking more just about how you um, both bless and curse others. And finally, there seems to be a correlation between Abraham's prayer and worship life and his acting contrary to faith. How have you observed that same dynamic in your life? In other words, remember he was praying and calling on the name of the Lord, erecting altars, and then when, when adversity hit, famine, it seems that prayer and calling on God's name stopped. Um, and And he quickly kind of Got off track um, Do you see a relationship to that in your life when you're not around the word, um, not in worship, how does that affect how you live:
0: Thank you for joining us today on the Mount Carmel Podcast. We hope never that you will join us again in the future as Dave Wan continues his teaching and we continue to publish other music, teaching and preaching from Mount me Carmel down
5: cause you're never going to